0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black. The Ion College Basketball Podcast is, of course, presented by Jersey Mike's Subs. Jersey Mike's a sub above. Matt Norlander is here with me. He's at home in Connecticut. I'm in a hotel room in kind of rainy and cloudy New York City. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button, like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. The biggest game on Thursday night's schedule was a Big Ten showdown between Purdue and Maryland. The biggest question, could Purdue get back on track after losing at Northwestern on Super Bowl Sunday? The answer... Was no. Final score, Maryland, 68, Purdue, 54. Purdue trailed by as many as 18 points before losing by 14. So the Boilermakers are now 1-3 and in the past four games with all three losses coming to sub-15. Ken Palm teams dead leg on a scale of 1 to North Carolina. How concerned are you these days about Matt Painter's team? How about a three, but sub 15 Ken Pomp teams.
1: That seems like a stretch for qualification there. GP sub
0: that's called a fact. What I, mean, I just did. What I just, the words that came out of my mouth were a fact. I know sometimes people who listen to this podcast, they, they, uh, they don't like facts. They don't like facts, but that was a fact. What I just told you three losses to sub 15 Ken pump teams.
1: Not necessarily the most disgraceful thing in the world. And they're all reasonable in terms of competition because Indiana, Northwestern, and Maryland are all tracking to the tournament. And with Northwestern and Maryland, Purdue's actually, <laughs> Purdue is providing, uh, it's, you know, it's laying groundwork to to make that happen by nature of getting wins over the Boilermakers. And yeah, three of the past four games for Purdue have been on the road. Uh, and all those three have come in losses. And for Purdue, the good news is three of your final four are going to be at home to Ohio State, a really rocking one next weekend. Indiana is going to come to town and you'll close up against Illinois. The road game is against Wisconsin. So uh, here's my get to Maryland, but real quick on Purdue. I'm loving this. You know why I'm loving this? Because people are going to be so damn eager to fade this team. Go ahead. Get involved. Go ahead. Dismiss this team. It's Purdue. They never win in the tournament. They never make deep runs. I want go. Go. I don't need you. Okay. This is exactly going as to plan. In fact, Purdue don't even win the big 10 tournament. Do me a favor. Get dropped in the semis. Still have, I have the same amount of faith in this team to make the final four as I did a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Losses were inevitable. No, it has not. It it was never separated from the rest of the sport. I still think that Purdue is capable of winning the national championship. I still like them as much as almost anyone to win four games in the NCAA tournament. It's gotten tripped up here. Some of the guard play, the youthfulness, the size, the athleticism has it been exposed a bit? Sure, it has. Has Edie been? Less than what he's been. Absolutely. Having said that, he's still the front runner for national player of the year. I'm still not stepping off that. And I'm still not stepping off Purdue is going to win the Big Ten. I said it was a mortal lock a month ago. I'm staying on that. As we talked this morning, your standings read Purdue 12 and 4. One game behind your Northwestern Wildcats at 10 and 5. It's incredible. And then behind that, we have an absolute log jam with Maryland, Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan State, all with six losses. Rutgers and Michigan one game behind there. Don't think Northwestern is going to catch Mich- uh, catch Purdue uh, in order to share a share the Big Ten title. Northwestern still has three of its final four on the road. Included in that is a home game against Iowa. They've been playing well. So those are my thoughts on Purdue. I do want to talk Maryland, but any 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 rebound of what I said? Do you want to dispute? Do you want to agree? Do you want to vehemently disagree with my uh, my stance that remains unchanged on Matt Painter's team?
0: I'm a I'm less confident in Purdue today than I was, say, two weeks ago, but I do still believe the Boilermakers are going to win the Big Ten, and I still do think Zach Eady is going to be the national player of the year, and I still do believe that Purdue is capable of, yeah, going to a Final Four for the first time since 1980 and also winning the national championship. But they have come back to earth a little bit. And let me ask you this, because you you, you mentioned two things there. Um, The guard play has fallen off – a little bit, uh, particularly with Fletcher Lawyer, who is yep. just not shooting the ball well at all um, in these past three losses, and Zach Eady, who is still amazing, but like not as amazing as he was for much of the season. Are those two things connected?
1: Maybe a little bit. I think they. I think they certainly could be. The, uh, I, I think a big reason why Purdue has done what it has done or not done what it's done. Is teams are effectively doubling Edie. Mm-hmm. I think Edie a little bit like I'm not saying he's in his own head, but like a lot of this was coming on when I sat down and interviewed him less than a month ago. Like he was, he's able, he is capable of handling this. But as it was, as he said in the, in my feature on him, he it it was starting to feel surreal that this was actually all kind of happening, and so maybe there was some internalization there, and he's just going to get through this this. Bumpy patch, and then we'll look up in a couple of weeks. And you know, I, I wouldn't surprise me if he's got a couple more thirty-four and twenty games in him It just wouldn't. Um, with freshman guards, I just think this is inevitable. Like they've never played this level of competition, particularly because they weren't five-star players. Now, Braden Smith has moments; he's unafraid, and I still think they've got a lot of big moments to come. But yeah, I think there is something to that. But I will add, and I know that you'll agree. I know. The painter hasn't made a final four yet, and I'll have something. I talked with him about it when I went went out to Purdue. I'll have a story about that kind of stuff sometime, either later in February or in March. But I, there are a few coaches better, I think, equipped uh, mentally to handle this kind of stuff. I just don't think that that locker room is is out of sorts whatsoever, and I don't think that Purdue is is you know teetering on a cliff. I just I just don't. If anything, you know, in the past week, I've heard more and more, you know, either written or talked about television shows, podcasts about this is, you know, this really is the new normal in college hoops. We don't have, you know, dynastic powers year over year. And there's some, there's something to that. I, I get that. And maybe what Purdue hasn't been able to do is reflective of that. The, the loss, by the way, with Bama this week, tied the record all time with eight losses by a number one ranked team in a season. It's t- if, if we have Houston, will probably be number one on, on Monday. And if Houston ever takes another loss before we get to the postseason, we'll have a new record. So there is something to that, but I'm not, I'm not concerned uh, about Purdue as a national championship contender, despite the fact that it's lost three of the four. Again, they're all tournament-level teams, and if you watch the games, I give as much credit to actually how Chris Collins and, and and Woodson and how, I mean, really, Kevin Willard did a wonderful job, and he even said, like, I knew we were going to win this game. It's easy to say that in a presser after, GP, after you've actually done it. But I believe him if you would have gone to him five hours before the tip that he would had a high degree of confidence they are going to pull it off, and credit to him.
0: They did. One thing I've noticed with Painter's um, post-game press conferences over the, you know, after – I don't want to say each of these losses, but certainly after multiple losses is he talks about toughness. He talked about it last night. He talked about it. Maybe it was the Indiana game. Like, we've got to be tougher. And that can be interpreted, uh, you know, a lot of different ways. But it is clear to me that he – he thinks that's an issue with his basketball team. Uh, The the thing that was different about Thursday night's loss from the other losses that Purdue has suffered this season, they're up to four now, obviously, is that in this one, in the second half, they really never threatened to win the game. And in the other three losses, they were in them in the final minute. In the loss to Rutgers, they were ahead 15 seconds left. Mm -hmm. In the loss to Indiana, is a one-possession game in the final minute. Lost to Northwestern, one-possession game in the final minute. This game, they try by double digits for the final eight minutes. Never threatened late. And they only shot, and this circles back to the guard play, 15.4% from three, which is obviously a problem. And it's actually been a problem in every loss this season. The loss to Rucker, 7 of 23 from three. The loss to Indiana, 6 of 18 from 3. The loss to Northwestern, 5 of 22 from 3. The loss to Maryland, 2 of 13 from 3. That's 20 of 76 from 3 in the four losses, 26.3%. Now, Purdue, broadly speaking, is not a good three-point shooting team, even when it's playing well. They shoot 33.2% from 3 on the season. That's 216th nationally. But the bullet are especially uh, bad in the losses that 26.3% from three in the losses. If that were actually their season average, it would rank dead last. I was going to say it
1: was going to be about three fifty, but you're saying it would be the worst in the country. It would
0: be literally tied for last in the country. So let me ask you this. How big of a problem is that? We both believe in Purdue. Let the record reflect that. But if your goal is to go to a final four, win a national championship, and, and make that Final Four for the first time since 1980, for the first time in Matt's career, mm-hmm. um, how much of an issue, if at all, and of course it, it, it is an issue on some level, but how yeah. big of an issue is it that this team just doesn't shoot the ball well from the perimeter?
1: Uh, not a huge issue to me. So a couple things here. One, Maryland, was was it only hit, I'll tell you what, Maryland in the win only hit five threes. It felt like every three pointer was worth six points because they were. Some of them were just, you know, the right kick out from the from the corner. There was a bank in, in one of them, and and it was part of a twenty nine to four run. So and Maryland's a bad three point shooting team. It's even worse than Purdue. It only took eleven. It made five of them there. So and some of that's you know the home court feel and all that. Here's why I don't think it matters too too much for Purdue, um, because if you've watched the team from the start of the season to now. You have seen, lawyer Braden Smith, Caleb First doesn't take a ton of them, but even he's gotten in on it. Gill- Gillis obviously had the um, the outrageous the outrageous game there. They have they can be timely and they can hit those threes in big shots. So I actually like their capacity to hit the right three at the right moment when they might need it, or to or to turn a four point lead into a seven point lead with two and change to go. So. Is it, a, is it a factor to the ceiling? Yes, but because, again, you have a Mastodon running down and up and down the floor, 94 feet for more than 30 minutes a game, your propensity for offensive rebounds is much higher. I mean, right now, Zach Eady. I said I didn't have a trivia time for you, but I'm going to lie to you right now. I'm mm. going to give it to you off the top of my head because this was referenced in my feature on Eady. Right now, Zach Eady is grabbing 21.7% of Purdue's misses when he's on the floor. That is a, that is the best in the country. He's the best offensive rebounder. He is second in Ken Palm history from an individual standpoint. Can you guess who the all-time leader is? You will know it if you read the story and, and, and it comes to mind, but I'm guessing that's not
0: the case. Tell me how many minute read that was again. A solid like 12 minute read. That's a, who's got that kind of time? Who can find the time?
1: Uh, apparently, plenty of people. A lot of people enjoyed the story, Gary.
0: I don't know who has
1: time for that. All right. How about I narrow it down to you? No, it's, it's, st- it's, it's, it's Oscar Shibwe. It is not. you got to go back more than a decade before Shibwe. That's my hint to you. It's Greg Oden. It's not, but it's after Oden.
0: So it's after Oden. It's Caleb
1: Swanigan. It's not Swanigan. It is a player for a team that, uh, that you couldn't love more than right now.
0: It's Dewan Blair.
1: It is Dewan Blair. Look Love at you. 23.6. Dewan Blair, Pitt 08 09. Dewan Blair, all six, seven of him. One of my favorite front court players of the 2000s. He grabbed 23.6% of, of Pittsburgh's misses in 2008, 2009. That is the individual offensive rebound rate record in Ken Palm history. That Pitt team. Oh, by the way, was third in Ken Palm that season, went to the NCAA tournament was a one seed and lost to Villanova famously with that four guard attack in the, uh, in the elite eight um, that pit team did get knocked off in the big East tournament by West Virginia. And uh, yeah, anyway, so and, and I'm, I'm going on off a tangent here, My, but I, that's why I don't have concern about Purdue's three point inconsistency. I think there's just enough with the misses that they'll get those second chance opportunities, but it is a factor.
0: Um, You ran through it, but real quick, what's left for Purdue? Ohio State on Sunday on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. After that, Indiana on February 25th at Wisconsin on March 2nd, and then home against Illinois on March 5th. Three home games, one road game should be favored in all four. So like I said, I still think Purdue wins the Big Ten by multiple games but the bullmakers are now just one game ahead of northwestern in the loss column of the big 10 standings. Purdue 23 and 4 overall, 12 and 4 in the Big 10. For what it's worth, I moved them down to 4th in the top 25 and one behind Houston, Alabama and Kansas. Now on Maryland. I moved Maryland into the top 25 and one at number 25. They're now 18 and 8 overall, 9 and 6 in the Big 10. They're 8 and 8 in the first two quadrants with zero additional losses. All eight losses are in quadrant one they're six and one in their past seven got wins over purdue and indiana 14 and one at home with the lone loss you'll remember this to ucla by 27 how do you how do you never lose at home except for that one time when you nearly lost by 30 Cronin, baby, that's how. No well, that's surprise. The that's going. the obvious answer. That's the yes. obvious. I'm sorry. That was a rhetorical question. <laughs> it was rhetorical. <laughs> it was, what a stupid question I asked. One one team had McCronin and the other team didn't. So you get so you get what you get. They're up to Maryland, 16th at Ken Palm, 19th in the net, 20th at Sagarin. That's the good news. The bad news is <sighs> that bad
1: news. We got the morning after. That Matt. By the way, quick thought. Okay, give me the bad news. But before you give me the bad news, can I get your? I'm not going to shame any student body for rushing the floor. You do what you got to do. I just that that had vibes of like we hadn't won a home game all season, and we're they Maryland fans were deep into it. Purdue's had a, had its opposing fan base rush the floor on them seven of the past eight games overall. Quick review of uh, of the intensity of that court storm. On Thursday night in College Park.
0: Well, I used to be anti court storm because it's dangerous. Like people, people do get hurt and can get hurt. Now I've just decided I don't care. You know, like, get hurt if you want to. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Like, I, I'm just, I'm worried about my own children. I, I don't, whatever happens to everybody else's, that's, that's on you guys. So, um, I, I'm, ne- I'm never going to shame a student section for having fun, for being fired up. I agree. And I just so I was
1: surprised they were that into it. I mean, I, I, that was just, you know,
0: well, it was a big game. Would... Even, even Kevin Willard after the game talked about how big this was for him, for the program, for these players. Um, the players talked about how big it was. Like One of the players um, like said, Coach, talked to us in the locker room and just said, Remember where you were last year. Now think about where you are right now. And it is pretty dramatically different.
2: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So there's a lot of good news, a lot of good news. But there is bad news. Here we go.
1: What do you got?
0: Biggest win of the season. You crack into the top 25 and one. I know it's coming. And now this you gotta good, go to this is good news. Now you gotta go to Pinnacle Bank on Sunday. Now you gotta go to Pinnacle Bank on Sunday. It's not a problem. How how unfortunate is that? You get your biggest win of the season, and then somebody says, All right, guys, get on the plane. We have to go to that torture chamber known. As Pinnacle Bank,
1: I don't think it's going to be an issue. All right, I'm relieved. Whew. It was close there, but Hoiberg's done a good job. He's done enough, certainly, to, to get himself another another year there. But yes, it is. If you if you side with GP, it's it's tough news for me. I just I'm I'm mark me down for a 14 point Maryland win. They're going to walk right into that building. They're going to walk right in on Sunday. You're walking. Lost. They're walking right in. Jameer you Young, lost. who's come on. You think Jameer Young is scared of Pinnacle Bank?
0: I think he should be. I think he should be you know like uh, somebody that doesn't know better isn't scared to touch a hot stove but you should be he might not know better
1: yeah I don't think they're going to be that that scared Jameer Young by the way at 20 in here in this game on uh, on Thursday night he's averaging 20 points over the last 11 games and five and a half boards per game he has been awesome and credit to Willard If you really go back and look at the schedule we talked about Maryland early in the season because it beat Illinois, got to 8-0, and then soon thereafter came the three-game skid, which was punctuated by UCLA going in there. No surprise. Cronin, 27 points. Here you are. And then, so they kind of take a dip in a swoon. And almost a month ago, Maryland was a 12-7 team, two games under five hundred in the Big Ten, and just looked like it was going to be headed to the NIT. Now it's flipped its fortunes entirely. Won six of the past seven. The only loss, reasonable one, by five against Michigan State 10 days ago here and comfortably comfortably in the field. Not a lock, obviously not a lock, but if you really look at what's remaining, Maryland fans have plenty of rosiness on this Friday because they know by getting the win over Purdue and getting such a high quality quad one win, it's at Nebraska. Then you're home to the worst team in the league in Minnesota. Then you're home against Northwestern, obviously winnable, quite winnable, and then at Ohio State, which is drifting out toward Neptune these days, and then you're at Penn State. We'll see where the Nittany lines are in terms of their tournament hopes, period. So uh very good percentage that Maryland is going to make its way into the NCAA tournament in year one under Kevin Willard, and that is proving to be, you know, among the four or five best immediate return hires at the high major level. He uh, he was long connected to that job even as Seton Hall season kind of went along last season. Lo and behold, he got it and immediate dividends. Good on the Terps, huge win, and uh, and I I'm eager to see what they can do once we get to March because they feel like a team that is genuinely. Dangerous if they get the right matchup. Again, they don't. They do not shoot the three pointer well whatsoever, and they're not going to. I think consistently scare you with that roster. But there's enough guys. Like I've seen Hakeem Hart make big plays. Dante Scott, I love him as a college player. Jameer Young has been on a rocket for the past six weeks here. So there's enough that I think they can. They 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 are a classic example to me. GP, let's just put them let's put them on the 10 line. Broadly speaking, they could be better than that. They could be worse, but let's put on the 10 line. They could take, take their, they could face the seven. And it's almost like an afterthought. Maryland wins by 10. It barely catches anyone attention. And then they get into the second round. They're playing a two and they're really, if it's the right kind of two, like they're giving them a push and they're one of those classic, high major, double-digit seeds, almost one breaks through the Sweet 16 every kind of year. I could see Maryland being that group if it's able to continue playing in the style and the momentum it's had over the past three weeks.
0: I would have them closer to a 7 seed than a 10 right Right. now based on resume. Again, four quadrant one wins, uh, 500 in the first two quadrants, all eight losses inside quadrant one, but like we'll let Jerry Palm figure that out. Real quick on um, Northwestern Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes on these Friday podcasts, we don't spend a lot of time on stuff that happened Wednesday night because by the time you get to Friday it just feels old, um, but Northwestern did beat Indiana on Wednesday night to extend its winning streak to four games. I don't know if you remember this a few weeks ago, we were talking about Northwestern and Clemson and Pitt, I guess it was. you know the, These schools where the coaches entered the season on the hot seat and they were doing well. And I I can't remember what what our actual answers were.
1: I remember Um, we said Northwestern wasn't gonna go. I was thinking about this. We said it wasn't gonna go because we looked at the schedule and we're like, this is just gonna be too much. Like they're not they're not gonna be Uh, able to uh, overcome it.
0: Okay, I think what I said was in (laughs) yeah, go ahead, hit the button. Hold on, I'm looking
1: at there's a couple of them here. Here we go, here we go. Here's one. I was wrong. Yep, that's one. And then uh where's where's mine? I gotta I gotta do it. Here we go. That one's on me.
0: I was wrong. I think uh, I said NC State, we, there were four schools we were talking about, NC yeah. State, Northwestern, Pitt, and Clemson, four schools where the coaches entered on the hot seat, and we're all having perhaps career-saving seasons. And I believe where I landed, somebody can fact-check me if they want to, I believe where I landed was NC State gets there, Yep. Northwestern does not, mm-hmm. and either Clemson or Pitt, one of the two. That's joint, where you
1: you were like one of the two. I think I forced you to pick one, and I want to say you said Clemson and go to help Pitt. I think that's
0: I what said, it was. that's not yeah. what I said. I think I I think I said Pitt. Uh, I'm a I'm a believer in 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 Pitt, but since then, like Northwestern hasn't lost. <laughs> they 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 what else is? What do you you think I'm surprised by this information? <laughs> Anyone listening to this podcast is surprised by this information. So Northwestern is now one game back in the loss column of Purdue in the Big Ten standings. Now Purdue again is going to be favored in each of its next four game final four games of the of the regular season. So. I, I I'm not going to ask you, do you think Northwestern can win the Big Ten? Because I don't think you think Northwestern can. Neither do I. But let me ask you this, because we got into a not not a spirited debate, but a um a, a real debate in the CBS uh, Broadcast Center on Wednesday night. My 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 friend and colleague John Rothstein was in studio with me, and he said that. And remember, this is before Purdue lost at Maryland, but still, my answer would be the same. He said that Chris Collins should be the Big Ten Coach of the Year. And I said, no, 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 no. Chris Collins is having an awesome season. But the Big Ten Coach of the Year is Purdue, Matt Painter. Where do you fall on that?
1: I would also give it to Painter. He wasn't picked to win the league when you consider he's brought in, who he brought in. And yeah, like, Edie was considered a first-team all-league guy going in. I get that. But I would still, in this case, how about this? If Northwestern does finish... If if Chris Collins really does take that program from where it was a year ago, and, and is and is level with the Boilers at the end of the season at the in the Big Ten ledger, I will I would give it to Collins in that regard. I would. They were you know this team has been sub 500 every single season since the one and only time the last time it got to the tournament back in 2017. But right now I would still give it to Painter. I did see the segment you're talking about. I thought it was uncool for Rosting to rip off his jacket and throw it across at you <laughs> on the set. But you know what? He was passionate, and I and I get it, and I enjoy that kind of passion. But I would, I would give it to Painter. I think the case for Collins is basically a 51-49 case as we speak at this moment, especially after getting the win over Indiana. Getting up by 21. We've already seen it in the chat here. Just a real quick... I got zero issue with Boo Booey's shot and move to get the bucket. If anything, you see that seven times a game in, at the NBA level and it doesn't get called because it shouldn't. That is just a good, hard push. It's not enough to be an offensive foul, in my opinion. Indiana, don't get down 21 in Evanston and get yourself in a tight spot. A really great job at coming back on it, but whatever. And it, Booey hit the, hit the bucket, and man, is he fun as hell to watch at this point. So I give it to... I give it to Painter, but the fact that if you're a Northwestern fan right now, you're second, you're a standalone second in the league. And it's just, it's such an awesome, awesome, awesome story, man, between him and Chase Adige, who's obviously one of the best, one of the best players, but one of the best defenders in the league. It's it's glorious. I love this kind of stuff. And that was an awesome watch on Wednesday. Uh, You know, that building because so ma- because the Big 10 obviously has so many of its graduates flock and live in Chicago and the greater Chicago area like every Northwestern home game is uh, someone had pointed this out to me and, I, and I, it's something I thought about but had never really processed but internally because so many alumni live in the area every Northwestern home game while there obviously is like a decent home contingent the the team weirdly gets prepared to play in like a neutral court environment for the tournament that it never goes to because you have anywhere from 40 to 70% of the building in opposing colors. Now on on Wednesday it really looked like a 50-50 split and so it it made for an even better environment and what I think is an awesome venue there. And Collins has done an incredible job and in the fact that you have swept Indiana, you have a sweep of the Hoosiers. It's big time stuff there for him to save his job and and Northwestern's got to be I think it's got to be like a six or seven seed right now. It's it's up there. Where do you have them in your top 25 and one? What would what they correspond uh, to right now?
0: Let me double check it. Uh, Northwestern obviously moved up after the win over Indiana. I've got the Wildcats 19th right now. So that's a five seed. Wow.
1: Wow, I think they got to be on the sixth line for sure after getting these uh, these pair of wins. I know I rambled just a little bit there, but I wanted to get a few words on just it was an awesome, awesome scene, a great comeback. And the building was just a, a great environment, I, in part because so many India, Indiana fans were there. I really, really enjoyed it. We had a great Wednesday night in hoops and uh, I would give it to Painter right now. And I would still I would give it the only way I wouldn't give it to Painter uh, to repeat myself. If Northwestern really does end up with the same record in league play, then I would go Collins. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah I'm I'm willing, I'm I'm open to it. If Northwestern and Purdue are co Big Ten champs, but if Purdue wins an outright Big Ten title after being unranked in the preseason, not picked to win the league in the preseason, spending most of the season or at least a lot of the season at number one, it's got to be Matt Painter. One of the uh, arguments uh, John made in favor of Chris Collins, and I guess by extension against Matt Painter, he said, listen, Matt obviously produced great, but like Matt Painter's got the Yao Ming of college basketball. He's got the national player of the year. And my counterpoint to that was, we're not using that against him, are we? He like, he got him. <laughs> he he he. And, and by the way, it ain't like he just signed the national player of the year to a max deal. He recruited somebody who was ranked outside of the top 400 in his high school class and developed him into the national player of the year. That should be a check for Painter, not a check against him.
1: I completely listen. I've come even more around to your side on this over the past 10 years or so when we consider coach of the year on a national level and on a conference level, a major, we love, we love getting into the season and talking about these games, talking about these results, previewing, making, you know, dart against the wall, Final four and one picks, that's some of the, the greatest joy of this. But for seven months of the offseason, we're talking about all these other things and recruiting and, and getting guys in and developing them. That is just as much of this. So, if anything, that's not taken in, into enough account. You have to recruit. You have to roster build. You have to develop. It's not just getting the wins. It's it's the route you take to doing that. And so, yeah, like because Painter has the National Player of the Year, is <laughs> that's a notch for him to actually get... <laughs> national coach of the year and Big Ten coach of the year. But I'm not going to take anything yeah. away from Collins. He is he has done just an amazing, 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 it truly is an amazing job. They Nobody had Northwestern remotely close to this. And though it is not a lock yet, because I am a stickler on this, a lock means literally, however unlikely it is, you can afford to lose literally every remaining game. And there is no doubt about you getting in. Northwestern's not there yet it can it can't lose six more games in a row. It would it would really be flirting with disaster if that happened, but it is just right on the precipice. It is almost there and to say that we're talking about Northwestern on that on February 17th huge stuff, great story in college hoops.
0: My biggest complaint and then we'll move on with coach of the year awards is that it is often overachieving coach of the year award um which which leads to Um, guys who actually do their job really well which is set themselves up for success Um, they're they're working against it um, right from the jump my favorite note connected to this is that billy donovan at florida had two national championships before he ever won an sec coach of the year award he had multiple national championships at one point in the history of this world, Billy Donovan had two national championships and zero SEC Coach of the Year awards. That makes no sense whatsoever. I'm not going I, – I, other people can vote however they want to vote. I personally will never hold high expectations against a coach when it comes to voting for Coach of the Year. Because if you had high expectations, you know what that means? It means you did your job really well. You set yourself – up for success and even as it pertains to matt painter i think he i think he checks both boxes he has a a, he set himself up for success but like he's still overachieving relative to all reasonable and even unreasonable (laughs) (laughs) preseason expectations let's move on the big 10 race isn't the only conference race that's tightened over the past two days sec race has too we'll get into that next but first a word from our partners
2: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you.
0: Get fifty percent off your first box at the farmersdog.com slash podcast. That's the farmersdog.com slash podcast so the big 10 race isn't the only race that's tightened over the past two days sec race gotten tightened too and that's because alabama lost at tennessee on wednesday while texas a&m beat arkansas so now alabama is 12 and 1 in the sec texas a&m is 11 and 2 just one game back of the team that is currently ranked number one in the ap poll dead leg alabama and a&m gonna play each other regular season finale in college station is that game gonna be for a regular season SEC championship.
1: Let's run through it real quick here. Then I got a question on Bama for you. Um my inclination is to say no, but here's Bama's schedule. Home to Georgia the Saturday, W, at South Carolina, W, home to Arkansas. Okay, maybe we entertain something there. Home to Auburn. Call that at worst one and one. So the 3 and 1 going into the A&M game puts them at 20 uh puts them at mm, 15 and 2 in the league. Okay, A&M. At Missouri this weekend, call it an L. Oh, home to Tennessee, <laughs> call it an L. At Schedule Mississippi State, at Mississippi, call those wins. But they're still a game behind, and they're a game behind now. No, no, that's not going to happen. That best A and M will be playing to be one game behind the final ledger and play for second. I don't think that's going to happen. But credit to credit to A and M for being in this position. It is a weird position for them overall. They were able to come back down from, from a 12 point deficit and get the win over Arkansas. And that was, it was a quality win for a Buzz Williams team that was bumpy in the first five weeks of the season. You know, at one point this was a six and five, six and five team and wasn't looking like it was heading toward the NCAA tournament. The non-conference isn't helping them much. They have a good sec record and they have a healthy 19 and seven overall record but we just got done talking about it in 1917, at Northwestern, and Northwestern's NCAA tournament profile is so much better than Texas A&M's at this moment there. But, but it was it was a, I want to give A&M credit for winning the the way that it did and against Arkansas and how it's come around. Having said that, real quick to you on Bama, with the loss here, you know, we've as I mentioned earlier, we've had these They just got to number one, and then. Takes the loss. And, you know, they, it was a competitive game against Tennessee on Wednesday night. Zakai Ziegler looked awesome in that game. And Tennessee, you got, you, you stepped up in a big moment and, and, I, and I like to see it. You know, Jonas Adu playing the best game of his college career, that was wonderful to see. But for Bama, if you look at the four losses, got run by Connecticut at PK-85, played a fun game, but Gonzaga outplayed him and won by 10 in Birmingham, back on uh, December 17th. Got booted out of the building. ninety three sixty nine by an Oklahoma team that's not going to the tournament. And then was in a good game, but, you know, bang the gavel, Tennessee wins, and there's no dispute about it. So, Bama is a fun team, dangerous team. It's 15th in points per possession at Ken Palm. And it's had four losses that have been clear-cut. Three of them by double digits, and a couple of them were smoke shows. So, I just want like I think Bama might be thought we might have reached a point here in the past two three weeks where most agreed that Alabama you write them into the Sweet 16 minimally and like barely any hesitation to the Elite Eight. I just wonder if we might not be setting ourselves up for some shock value here, given the the losses are to good teams for the most part. Oklahoma's not even a top 50 team, but it's not a bad team. But UConn has Final Four potential. Gonzaga has Final Four potential. Tennessee has Final Four potential. And all three of those games, they were were clear-cut losses on Pama's side. What's your
0: reaction to that? It's a concern if you're an Alabama fan because they have shown that they are obviously very capable of of bombing anybody. And that is a combination of personnel and style of play. But when you get blasted at Oklahoma, and I don't want to say didn't show up at Tennessee, but they played poorly. At Tennessee it's actually a testament to how good that team actually is that they played so poorly and a lot of it was because of Tennessee or at least some of it was because of Tennessee but it's a testament how good Alabama is that they were kind of hanging around for really the entire most of the game despite playing as as poorly as they played they turned it over 19 times and Tennessee took 15 more shots than them and Alabama and again this is sort of tied to style of play but still not good they only had eight twos eight twos in the entire game shot 33.3 percent inside the arc I don't actually mind them having um not as many two-point baskets as other teams might because that's again that's style of play they're trying to do everything at the rim or from the three-point line it's a modernized you know NBA influenced style of play but you got to be better than 33.3% from inside the arc. We can all agree on that. Even Nate Oates would tell you that. Like we don't need to take uh, we we can take as many threes as we take twos, but you got to you can't shoot 33% from two. Then you give the best defensive team Let me rephrase. If you give the best college defensive team in the world 15 more shots than you while you're on the road in a hostile environment, you are probably losing. And so that is what happened. To to Alabama on on Wednesday night, um, but I, I broadly speaking, I still believe in this team. I have them second in the top twenty five and one behind only Houston. Um, it is a team I can very easily see myself picking to to go to the Final Four, but it is uh, you know on, on a short list of concerns. One of the concerns is if you can get blown out by Oklahoma, you can lose your second round game even if you're a one seed. In, in the NCAA tournament. And that seems to be on the table for for Alabama.
1: Last thing for me on this, Arizona feels like a cousin to Bama in this regard. You know, got beat by 15 at a Utah team that's not going to the tournament. Got beat by 13 in Tucson by Washington State. Got rolled at, at Oregon back, you know, a month plus ago. And then had the weird, super weird uh, loss at Stanford last weekend. So Arizona is another one where... Uh, Zona and Bama they're very fun teams to watch like they're among the 3 to 5 teams that I'm most eager to watch play almost regardless of the opponent but there is this thing about them where they feel as likely to be playing on the first Monday of April as they do to be getting bumped by an unsuspecting victim in the Sweet 16 that's all
0: um I'll tell you who is also a cousin to this Tennessee You know Tennessee is is similar in the sense that Now the Tennessee thing's a little easier to understand. They're great off the great defensively, shaky offensively. And when you when you are when there's such a disparity between those two sides of the ball, you you you're gonna run into problems every once in a while. Because though you can you can hold Alabama to 59 on a night where Alabama's not playing well, um you're not gonna hold everybody to in the 50s. And so Tennessee right now, just to hammer home this point, wins over Kansas, Texas, Alabama, but also losses to Colorado, Florida, Vanderbilt. UT has three wins over teams ranked in the top ten at Ken Palm, and five mm-hmm. losses to teams ranked 40 or, or lower at Ken Palm, and four losses outside of Quadrant One. I, I tweeted this. Did you? I don't know if you saw it. If not, we'll call it not. a tri- okay trivia time.
1: All right, let's do it.
0: There are only 3 schools in my top 25 and 1 right now with more than 3 losses outside of quadrant 1. I just told you Tennessee quad is one, one of them. quad not just just quad 1, outside of quadrant 1. Everybody else in the top 25 and 1 has okay. 3 or fewer yeah. losses outside of quadrant 1. There are 3 schools that have more than 3 losses outside of quadrant 1 in the top 25 Wait. and 1. Tennessee is one of them. Okay, so I got the other two. Let me
1: cheat and just look at your rankings. Is it detailed in your lead? No. Okay. Um, all right, let me look here. Uh, okay, scrolling down. More than three outside of quad one. All right, not Houston. Uh, not Bama. We just talked about them. Certainly not Kansas. It is not Purdue. It's not UCLA. Uh,
0: you can start outside the top 10 because I don't okay, have any, okay, okay, any, okay, okay, okay. any of these teams in the top 10. Um,
1: it ain't Mark. Cat. Oh. Give me give me three guesses for two teams. The first one I'm seeing that I'm almost wondering Xavier's got seven. I'll say Xavier's one.
0: Xavier's not one of them. Ooh.
1: Okay. Uh Tennessee is one. Miami's not one. I feel like every Iowa
0: State loss is a quad one loss. Um it's almost impossible for a Big 12 team to to have to have more than than three losses outside a quad one.
1: I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking. You'll know, um, you'll know it when you see it. I'll know it when I see it. Well, we, we've talked about both of them. Scrolling down, I got to be Maryland.
0: Not Maryland. It's Pitt. Pitt's in here. It's got to be Pitt, right? Pitt, it, Pitt is one of them. Pitt has okay, five. and then Pitt has five losses outside of quadrant one. Okay. Five. Are they four. all quad? Just out of curiosity, are they all quad twos? No, they have four quad two losses and a quad four loss at home to Florida State. Pitt oh, has. Yeah, 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 okay. Pitt has Five losses outside of the first quadrant, which is more than any other team I have in the top 25 and one.
1: So there's one more team in this group. Once again, Um, it's just a fact. I know. Um, This is hard to pick. GP, just tell me because there's a lot of candidates, but I don't don't reel off like six names. Who's the other one. St. Mary's. You know what? I wouldn't. Have, I should have guessed that, but they were only at five total losses, so I didn't know if they would have would have qualified. Better.
0: Tennessee has four losses outside of quadrant one. St. Mary's has four losses outside of quadrant one. Pitt has five losses outside of quadrant one. Nobody else in the top 25 and one has um, has
2: more than three. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: Okay. You want to pick some games? Nada. Turn your mic on because it's time for the final four and one. And I need to know, I need to know, how big is my lead now? You don't have a lead. Not yet, at least. But, hey, but, give them, there's but, good news. There is very, very good news. You're all tied up. You are, you guys are even. I, I cannot believe it. This is another it's straight week. And I don't care. Okay. Even Steven. But let me ask you this. Did you remember to count our Super Bowl picks? Yeah, we were both the same. Still we even. both took the Chiefs. We both took the Chiefs? Yeah. Oh, damn. I thought that could have been a difference maker for me. I thought so, too. Oh, it. Come on. All right. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Game one! Saturday noon Eastern oh my worlds are colliding Illinois at number 14 Indiana inside Tom Crean Hall you can watch it on ESPN Kimpom has it Indiana minus four
1: mm, mm, mm. one of this two things ain't.
0: one of two things happens okay. on Saturday afternoon all right either the internet goes full speed in Bloomington or Tom Fornelli rises from the dead Oh, man. All right. Uh,
1: Indiana won the first one. Won in Champaign back on January 19th by 15 points. Helped really kickstart this renaissance happening in Bloomington. Uh, I got to take... I got to take IU here. You said it's four. Yeah, I I will go. The Hoosiers gather themselves and recover well after the loss against Northwestern and they win this one. I think this game has the potential to get um crazy in a good way, but I will go I will say Indiana takes care of business at home. How about this? Over under Let's go over under total here. Well, let's look at Trace's recent games. Let's do this for fun. All right, so Trace in his past 4 games has gone for 23, 28, 20 and 25 points. And he has gone for 10, 11, 18, and 7 rebounds. So let's combine points and boards for Trace Jackson Davis. I'm going to give you over under 37.5 over, points and boards for Trace Jackson Davis. What are you going with? I mean, that's a lot. It is It is a lot, but he has, uh, he has cleared that number twice in the past four games. No, I'm going under. I will also go under.
0: I think Indiana wins the game and covers. My official pick is Indiana, but I, that, that, I'll go under on that Trace Jackson Davis. Um, for Illinois, I, I'm just sort of scrolling through it here. Um, they haven't won a road game like this all se- They did win at Pinnacle Bank. They did win so at Pinnacle your Bank. your
1: statement remains correct. They have not won a road game like this.
0: But they haven't won a road game like this. That's a big ask. That's a big ask to go into... What do they call assembly hall now? It's something 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 assembly hall.
1: Um I don't like it. I'm, whatever it is. Simon Skoke, I think is I think that's how you pronounce it. Whatever that. it
0: is. I don't like that part. Gentleman's name. I'll well, do respe- respect. I'll do respect. I'll do respect. I don't like I don't like that part. It did goose it up. Let's just call it Assembly Hall. Or the dunk. I
1: think you called it Tom Cream Hall. Oh yes, yeah, Tom Cream Hall.
0: Game two, Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern. Number 10, Tennessee at Kentucky inside Billy Gillespie Arena. You can watch it on CBS. America's most watched network is the network of stars. Kim Palm has it. Tennessee minus four. Tennessee
1: held Alabama to 0.85 points per possession. What do we think it's going to do? Hostile territory. What do we think it's going to do to Kentucky in Rock Arena? Tough one. Mm. All right. Kentucky got the win against Mississippi State on the road. A little ugly. Who cares? You got the win. You needed it. Now, how, can you respond, Wildcats, and get a second straight win here? And in doing so, just vault your resume because a loss and you're still, you're dancing on the bubble. You're sitting right there on the fence, this way or the other way. I am going to, you said, Balls minus four. That's obviously the Ken Palm line. Uh, will that actually be the line for Caesars when it comes out? I will go, I will go Kentucky to cover this line. I just shame me if we hop on the Sunday pod and we're talking about Tennessee winning this game by 12 points. <laughs> Cause, Cause I should know better. But I'm going to trust that Kentucky is going to show up ready to play. Jacob Toppin will have another really good game. Sheboy will be up and ready and a plus on the floor and they will get good guard play. Kaseem Wallace ready to go. You know, I'll I'll take Kentucky to cover plus 4 in its home building in a very urgent spot. Kentucky fans are living and dying with every single game here. This is a tasty one. Give me the, give me the Wildcats.
0: Like there's obviously been some big results over the past couple of nights. I don't know that anyone is bigger for a coach than than John Calipari winning at Mississippi state like they really 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 needed that and that was a nice win um here yeah I, I t- I'll take Kentucky plus the points I think in our official picks on Sports dot com can't remember uh, but I think I think I took Kentucky to cover Tennessee to win
1: I, yeah, I did yeah that's about yeah that.
0: Tennessee yeah. to win Kentucky to cover but I'll take just like getting four points inside Rupp Arena with a team that was preseason number one at Ken Palm, it's just hard to turn that down. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to turn it down. Game three, 4 p.m. Eastern. Number nine, Baylor at number five, Kansas, inside Bill Self Fieldhouse. You can watch that one on ESPN. Ken Palm has it, Kansas, minus four.
1: Baylor, 10 and one, and it's at last 11. You can make the case. Kansas has been tremendous, but you can make the case over the past five weeks. Baylor's been the best team in the country uh, developing as was a common, you know, suspicion uh, amongst national media heading into the season that Baylor might have the best three guard attack in the country. And between Flagler, Cryer and George, that is becoming the case, if not the case. And this is the kind of game where if Baylor is able, it's able to go in to Bill cell Fieldhouse and get a road win. Uh, I think uh, we've talked about on the pod and I, about Baylor national title contender. This is the team. Like it's been a couple of weeks now that we've been, you know, talking about this uh, this team kind of returning to form and Jonathan Chalmel Chachua getting getting not just playing time, but they're letting him even shoot from deep. And he's 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 hit a, he's he's four of nine from three point range so far since coming back from a from a brutal knee injury. By the way, C.J. Moore wrote a really good story. CJ Moore actually wrote two really good stories for the Athletic. If you have not read them, do check them out. One is on uh, Jonathan Chama Chachua, and then a really really good story he wrote a couple weeks back on KJ Adams, who is among the more entertaining players in the country. Just a super versatile power wing, and uh, and so go go check those out if you haven't read those already. I, I really hope we get just an awesome classic. Jayhawks Bears game here, GP. I will. This is game three as a reminder, but as another reminder, you don't have to follow your own rules. I'm going to take Baylor to cover. So I've got Kentucky at home being plus four and covering. I'm going to take Baylor on the road being plus four and covering this spot. But on the site, I'm going to have Baylor covering. I will take Kansas to win. Let's hope this one is decided. You know, in the final couple of possessions there, and uh, what should be a, a beautiful, beautiful game. This is obviously the best matchup of the weekend.
0: Okay, this works well for me because I'll just lay Kansas mm-hmm. four or under inside Allen Fieldhouse, basically every game. But, but if Scott Drew or the Drew family is listening, I didn't want to do it, but Norlander took. Baylor, so I had to take Kansas. So I can I can maintain my loyalty to the Drew family, including Huck, but also take Bill Self only laying four points inside Allen Fieldhouse. I feel like that's a win-win for me.
2: This is Bryce
0: and I don't care. He cares some. I don't buy that. I've no. never bought that. Never it's him. It. <laughs> it's him. <laughs> Game 4! Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern. This might be my favorite game of the week. Here. How about this game right here? So big. North Carolina at number 23 NC State inside Dennis Smith Jr. Arena. Oh. That dude got so much money.
1: Nada, what Nada, what team is he playing for these days? I could not. If you gave me 10 NBA guesses, I don't think I could get there. Dennis Smith Jr. is a Charlotte Hornet right now. Oh, I didn't know. How
0: about that? <laughs> Perfect. Is he a good Charlotte Hornet? There are no good Charlotte Hornets. What are you talking uh, about? It's a sixteen-win team, Norlander. Come on. <laughs> you, there's no such thing as a good Charlotte Hornet. What are you? What are you talking about? That's like asking, uh, <laughs> is there a seven-headed bear? Like, what you, there is no such thing as a seven-headed bear. Uh, what are you talking yeah. about? There we a good, go. A good Charlotte Hornet. I don't know. Lamelo seems halfway decent in these days. No, yeah, Lamelo's great. Is Lamelo great, Nada? He's he's the only reason to watch. Literally the only reason to watch. I discovered him.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: It's true. What's the line on this game inside Dennis Smith Arena? You can watch it on ESPN. Pom has it. NC State minus three. North Carolina looking for its first quadrant one win of the season.
1: Well looking to rediscover it. It had it, but it, it lost it. it.
0: It had <laughs> it but it lost it because of Ohio because Ohio State didn't win against anybody. How mad how how mad is Hubert Davis at Chris Holtman? <laughs> Chris Holtman, like that's the that's the column that needs to be written. How Chris Holtman ruined North Carolina's season.
1: <laughs> As I said.
0: But tweet that. You know how sometimes you just tweet ridiculous things with no context? Tweet I, that. Yeah. Has, is anybody talking about how Chris Holtman ruined North Carolina's season? T- tweet, tweet. I don't think we're talking enough about how Chris Holtman ruined North Carolina's season. Uh, I will think about it. I'll think about it. I will go. <laughs> no, I, no, that's not even something we could joke about because we love Chris Holtman.
1: And I don't think. He's don't underrated. Take- I mean, I don't know if he's ever been more underrated than right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe, maybe those people who weren't giving Chris Holman enough credit. Maybe they. Maybe, maybe they were right. Not even going to joke about it. That's how much I love Chris Holman. Not even going to joke about it. I, 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 don't, uh, I, don't, I don't find any joy, even though I'm laughing. I find no joy in what's happening at Ohio State because I love Chris Holman. But he, but. The Buckeyes did ruin North Carolina's season. Oh. Like we keep, we keep yelling, North Carolina's got zero quarter. We did a whole trivia time on North Car- based on North Carolina having zero quarter one wins, and that is Ohio State's fault.
1: It is entirely Ohio State's fault, but they can regain one here, and you know what? It's going to happen. UNC is going. This is just. It feels so NC State shit that the Wolfpack have been the team in North Carolina that's been ranked the past couple of weeks. Not Duke, not Carolina, obviously not Wake. And yet, the Wolfpack will be swept by Big Brother. It just feels like destiny. So I will take UNC to walk right into that arena on a Sunday and, and peel off a win. Man, I really got Kentucky and Carolina coming out of the week. When you step back and really examine that statement, that set of circumstances, it feels like I'm destined to be wrong, but I've got Kentucky and Carolina both winning and in doing so reinforcing that they should be in bracket projections. I will take the heels shouts to leaky black. Oh boy. Need that. Howl. Give me the howl. Just
0: do it. I don't know how to howl like a wolf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, can, <laughs> I, I think it's different than that. I think somebody sent me a wolf clip, and it's not quite that. Oh. Nada, do you know what a wolf sounds like? I do not know what a wolf sounds like. All I'm—I'm I'm just going to preemptively apologize to the NC State fans right now on behalf of you. Oh. Look
1: at me. Okay. No, one of us tried. Look at me.
2: I'm a wolf pack. I'm a wolf
0: back give me Turquavion straight up NC State keeps North Carolina on zero quadrant one wins
1: I just, uh, oh here we go
0: hopefully I can use this clip on socials when they lose on Sunday
1: <sighs> all right Take a tour around the weekend. Before we do, before I give the end one, um, I guess I'll give the end one now. Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Texas AM at Missouri on Kareem Rush Court. Okay. Ken Palm has the line Mizzou minus one.
0: I'm laying the point with Missouri at home. I mean, Missouri's got some big wins at home, Agreed. and Texas, a- Texas A&M has the weird Texas A&M. Every year, there's like the weirdest resume in the country, and and this year it is it is Texas A&M. These dudes started six and five with losses to Wofford, Murray State, and Colorado, and now Texas A&M is eleven and two in the SEC on a four game winning streak, but Missouri they have they beaten at home beat Illinois on a neutral Beat Kentucky at home beat Arkansas at home beat Iowa State at home one at Tennessee at the buzzer Missouri in Missouri in the home building Kim English Arena on Kareem Rush
1: court uh, shouts to Kareem Rush one of my favorites from the early 2000s I also am taking Mizzou in the spots um, Bubble we we'll Mizzou just got completely throttled on Tuesday by
0: Auburn. So Man, it, I mean that game was over like that. Correct. It was done early. So But here here's the thing with Missouri. Um you get you get throttled like that. I made this point um somewhere, wherever wherever it is, you make points. There's still all seven losses for Missouri are still inside quadrant one. Mm. And they're eight and seven in the first two quadrants. So when you are above five hundred in the first two quadrants. With zero losses outside of quarter one, that's a solid resume.
1: I, I agree, and uh, and Gates done, a, uh, you know, similar to Willard, what we talked about earlier, what they've been able to do in year one, and and flip expectations. It's been it's been good to see. All right, rest of the weekend guide. I'll rip through this quick, then uh, then a quick news bite to wrap up. The bracket show, twelve thirty Eastern Saturday on CBS, the once a year top sixteen reveal. Um, I will be interviewing the selection chair at one o'clock on CBS sports HQ. If you'd like to watch that as well, Chris Reynolds is the AD at Bradley. He's the selection chair this year. I talked with him real quick on Thursday. There were 20, he told me there were 20 teams that were in discussion for the top 16 seeds. And, uh, as usual committee met on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then, uh, it, dispersed Thursday late afternoon, as it does every year. But there were six games that were contingency plans based on losses. So, frankly, Purdue was was in a different spot in the bracket when... Uh when the committee left and they had a contingency for, okay, if Maryland wins, like, I don't know this to be the case, but let's say Purdue was the number one overall seed. It will now not be on, on Saturday when that happens, because now it just doesn't have the resume to, to justify that. So again, 1230 Eastern on CBS shouts to Dave Warlock, who does a great job with the NCAA. He sent out this tweet on Thursday. He said, since the first one began in 2017, we've done this every year since 2017, 65 of the 80 teams in the top, you know, four seeds, four seed lines apiece. Sixty-five of the eighty remained either one, two, three, or four seeds when the real bracket came out. This used to happen a month before Selection Sunday, but with the Super Bowl getting pushed back a week, now this gets pushed back a week. We are going to be twenty-two days out when this uh, when this comes. And as I detailed in my power rankings this week. Every single time we have done this, and it even applied to the year when we didn't have the tournament, if you looked at the projections, three of the four teams on the top line remain on the top line selection Sunday, but always there every single year, one team has been swapped out and the team that gets swapped out falls to the two line. Not worse than that. As we head into Saturday, if you look at Palms projections, if you kind of look broadly, Purdue, Bama, Houston, Kansas are kind of irrefutably the top four seeds like those are going to be the one seeds i would have to believe purdue could have fallen i guess theoretically that might be some of the drama there now with taking the loss against maryland um but if it's it is those four purdue bama houston kansas one of them will drop out and be a two-seed history suggests over the past six years any quick thoughts on that before i just give a quick tour of the weekend Well,
0: well, real quick this is something just popped into my head um over the past couple of days because i did look at your power rankings um you have houston number one
1: yeah, I figure they gotta be okay I just, I have, I'm, trying, I'm trying to reward the teams that are just playing well and okay, haven't lost And yeah, I, it, okay it, it, actually it was I, I hated having to put someone
0: no you don't have to justify it I, I have Houston number one in the top 25 and one Houston is number one at Kenpom here's my question and I'm asking this from an honest place I don't know the answer I'm not smart enough to understand it I, I'm asking this from an honest place is there a flaw in the system somewhere? Because here we are, February 17th, Houston's number one at Ken Palm. Last year, it was Gonzaga. year before, it was Gonzaga. Past three years, the number one team ends up being a really good team from a crap conference. Is there a connection between those things? I don't.
1: It's a good question to ask, and I think a lot of people are quick to pounce on that from a cynical point of mind. I I don't think so. Only now it's a valid question to ask because Houston is comfortably in first place in an adjusted efficiency margin and Ken Palm. It's not Ken Palm. You look at any predictive metric Houston rates as the best team in the country there, but you know, it is based off of the collective college basketball universe and thousands of non-conference games and how these teams have performed against each other. And you know, I know Oregon's not great, but it is rates as a top 50 team. And Houston went in and won that game by double digits. And St. Mary's, even if you don't think it's a top 10 team, even if you think it's like, okay, maybe I'll even say it's a top 25 team, which it still was able to beat St. Mary's. And that's another highly ranked team. It was able to go in against Virginia and win that game by eight points. So there's been enough in the non conference. And it played Bama close. And it's, you know, it's played 26 games and won 24 of them. And it has been able to, yes just destroy a lot of inferior teams in its own conference. But to your question, we've had a recent spate here of dominant teams in leagues that just don't rate in the top four or five or six in the, in the country. Is there inherent flaw in that? Maybe there might be some tweaking that needs to be adjusted but I do think that Houston is viably one of the three or four best teams in the country. And so I don't have an issue with where it falls well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me be clear. Yeah, when you look at post-season performance real quick. GP went to a final four yeah. and then last year knocked off uh, an Arizona team. That was as hot as just about anyone. In- no, let, let me, let me
0: be clear. If I had to pick a national champion today, I would pick Houston. Mm-hmm. I think Houston's great. I yeah. just, I, I'm just, again, I don't know the answer, but it, it's hard not to notice that for three straight years now the quote number one team in the computers is is from a crap conference
1: yeah apologies to apologies to the west coast and american but no i get what you're saying i get what you're saying um certainly something that i think we'll even talk about more and people will be focused in on because houston the point like uh, we had an email sent out uh, in-house with some in you know, some CBS. Our data people ran the simulations, and like Houston was projected to win close to twenty percent of the simulations, which is a very high number. It's a very high number, and it's got some of that Gonzaga stuff. But tournament can be a random. You know, results generator, and so it's it's hard to sometimes merge those two things. A season long's worth of data versus once you get into a, a tournament and stuff like that. But it's a, it's a it's a good question to ask. And uh, twelve thirty Eastern bracket reveal, top sixteen teams overall. We'll be interested to see where those teams are. And we are going to give you, if you're watching on Saturday, we're gonna we're put like a ten to fifteen minute show here on YouTube, um, just react to it in real time. Obviously, those that bracket will be. The results will, it doesn't have a long shelf life, but you know, as you're watching, if you want to get in a little bit of, of reaction stuff, we'll have that for you sometime between one 30 and two on Saturday, quick tour around the games, Saturday, 12 Eastern, big 10 net Wisconsin at Rutgers big game for both of them. Frankly, noon Eastern on Fox Seton hall at UConn. If Seton hall wants to get into this, at large conversation from a legitimate standpoint, get a sweep of the Huskies. We'll see if they can do it. It's going to be a tough one there at Gamble. A couple of skidding Big 12 teams with chances in their home barns. Two Eastern on ESPN. Iowa State plays at K-State. Wildcats are looking to get things right. And then two Eastern on ESPN plus Oklahoma State's going to play at TCU. Horned Frogs desperately need Mike Miles to get good, get right in a hurry. They are not good without him. At six Eastern, Duke plays at Syracuse on ESPN. Let's just see how Duke does in that building. Um, What the hell? Let's see if Mike Krzyzewski wants to take a trip up to central New York and visit his old buddy, Jim Beheim At 8 Eastern on CBS Sports Network, we've got a tremendous Mountain West game. Nevada at Utah State. Both of those teams still trying to build out their at-large resumes or strengthen them. Utah State really kind of needs to win that home game. That's a really, really good 8 Eastern tip on CBS Sports Network. And then 8 Eastern on Fox, uh, Michigan State is going to play at Michigan. Obviously, there was the horrendous, uh, you know, Mass shooting that happened, senseless, infuriating, all of it. Earlier this week, Tom Izzo gave a a stirring seven and a half minute speech at a Michigan State vigil earlier this week. If you have not seen that yet, please go seek it out. It is uh is is quite good. Um, and you know, the the scenes out of East Lansing have been they've been you know inspiring in the day since, but it's just it's it's completely heartbreaking and uh, yeah. uh, send. We send only our best to that community. Um, It was determined that Michigan State would continue to play this game this weekend against its rival of all teams. You know, in-state going up to Chrysler. uh, No word yet on if the postponed game against Minnesota will even uh, get made up. I want to alert our viewers and listeners that um, there's going to be a number of things that are done, obviously, uh, for this game. Again, this is 8 Eastern on Fox Saturday night. should prove to be a pretty emotional scene there. Um, Michigan will come out in specially designed... This is from Michigan Athletics, which sent this earlier. Uh, specially designed warm-up T-shirts for the team. Um, there will be a moment of silence, obviously, that will be uh, last approximately 30 seconds. Uh, Michigan's going to h- uh, hang a, a Spartan strong flag in the student section, which I think is an incredible move, and I can't wait to see that visual. Um, the pep band for Michigan is learning and performing. Michigan State's alma mater And the lighting in the Chrysler Center will be green and white during the moment of silence um, with wristbands distributed for all fans to wear upon entry. Uh, In addition to all this, uh, Michigan is actually going to honor its 2013 Final Four team. uh, Trey Burke, Beeline, Stauskas, Spike Albrecht, they're all going to be in the house. So it's actually it's like it's a pretty big event here that was already pre-planned, obviously. And now you've got the backdrop to... uh, the Michigan State uh, tragedy that happened earlier this week. This is a very intense rivalry, and uh, they'll, there's just never been a game quite like this. Uh, GP, you got any quick thoughts
0: before I wrap up of what we got Sunday? Yeah, I thought Tom was terrific. Um, he's he like he's just a real thoughtful guy. I mean, you and I have both known him for a long time. He's a real thoughtful guy, and you know, he sort of opened his speech by acknowledging. You know, I, I did take some time to, to jot some words down, to collect my thoughts and and make sure I, I do this the way I want to do it. But I thought he was perfect. I, I texted him and told him that, you know, like, hey, that community. It, he likes to describe himself as just a basketball coach, but he's so much more than that, especially on that campus, especially in that community. And I thought I thought he was great. You know, obviously there's no magic wand to wave and undo this senseless, ridiculous um, you know latest act of gun violence and mass murder on a college campus but i thought tom did a really good job of of trying to uh, connect with that student body and um share his thoughts in a way that i'm going to assume were it was helpful
1: yeah yeah, absolutely. Now, it was a really impressive speech. And, uh, you know, I know we have a lot of listeners in that state, in that area, and we do send our, our very best to you. And that'll be that'll be quite the scene there. Uh, a secondary backdrop to all like, of this is like
0: I, I, I thought about this. You know, I think anybody who listens to this or knows me at all understands where I stand on gun violence and the gun problem in this country. It has impacted basketball. Like at least four different times this season, Mm -hmm. Virginia canceled a game because of gun violence Mm -hmm. um, within its um, university community. Football players killed Um, an Alabama player has been charged with murder um, in connection to gun violence that killed a young woman, a new Mexico state player literally shot and killed the man. And now on Michigan State's campus, uh, a person in his 40s murdered three people. And in in, in a way that has obviously, it's just, I, I couldn't help but notice at least four different times this college basketball season, the sport of college basketball has been impacted because of gun violence in this country, which is, I was about to say unbelievable, but it's actually quite believable.
1: And the fact that it is makes it all the more maddening. Um, Sunday, three more games to know. CBS Sports Network actually has a really good Missouri Valley game. Belmont's twelve and five in the league at Drake. It's a really quality Sunday afternoon tip there. Give a little mid-major love. Also at three Eastern on ESPN, Memphis will play at Houston. We'll see if the Tigers, which are you know just trying to remain in that tournament conversation, and they're there. But uh, Kendrick Davis, he hurt. Do we know is he going to play? I I I missed. We don't know his, if he's going to
0: play. Okay, he um, he went down with an ankle in the first half, did not return, was on crutches and in a boot. Now Penny after the game said, and by the way, congratulations to Kendrick Davis. He's now the American Athletic Conference's all-time leading scorer. Oh, good. For him. Um, uh, Penny after the game said, we don't know if he's going to play. Uh, certainly su- suggested. I'll just in- suggested it. M- Don't let the image of Kendrick Davis on crutches uh, lead you to the conclusion that he will, there's no way he plays on Sunday. They're leaving open the possibility. And they did say he was in a boot for precautionary reasons. Here's the thing, though if I were Memphis and he's, let's say he's 80%, 75%, and he says, I can go, but I'm not 100%, I wouldn't play him. You're probably not winning at Houston, even with Kendrick Davis.
2: Probably the right.
0: Right. Rest him. And because the most important thing for Memphis to do right now is not to beat Houston. It's to not lose to anybody in the American Athletic Conference other than Houston. If Memphis could if on Selection Sunday from this point forward, Memphis has not lost to anybody other than Houston, they'll make the NCAA tournament. I don't think they have to beat Houston to get there. And so I would focus on having Kendrick Davis ready for games that don't involve Houston because not losing those is I think more important than trying to beat the projected number one seed.
1: Duly noted, and that's a three Eastern tip on ASP. And the other only other game on Sunday of real note is Iowa's at Northwestern, six thirty Eastern on Big Ten Network, and Northwestern obviously gonna try and try and keep pace. With second place and try and chase Purdue. Last thing from me, and then we can get out of here. Uh, we do need to mention that the domestic violence charge was dropped by the district attorney's office in Travis County earlier this week against Chris Beard. Uh, part of the statement from the DA office said, quote, after a careful and thorough review of the evidence, recent public statements and considering Ms. True's wishes, end quote, my statement, that's Randy True, Chris Beard's fiance. Quote, continued, our office has determined that the felony offense cannot be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And quote, Chris Beard released a statement on Thursday that reads in part, quote, while I always had faith and confidence in the truth and this outcome, it has been extremely challenging to wait patiently and not publicly respond. I'm sorry and deeply remorseful to my family, friends and all my players and staff, both most recent and past and everyone at my alma mater, the University of Texas, including the fans and supporters who were affected by this situation, end quote. So the charge has been dropped against Chris Beard. This is not a surprising turn of events. We talked about the circumstances that often lead to this exact situation happening. As I tweeted earlier this week, does not mean that what actually happened should be casually dismissed or certainly not forgotten. Um, Although the charge has been officially dropped against Chris Beard, certainly I would think that his story is not entirely done yet, but this is... Going to be forever part of it moving forward.
0: Um, so when this first happened, I think when I both said we don't think he'll coach at the power five level again, you mm-hmm. change your mind on that? Not I think I my mind have. yet.
1: I don't think I, I have.
0: I'm not saying I it won't happen.
1: I'm just, I've heard from a few people that still aren't that. Confident on it, I don't know.
0: I was on a a show earlier in the week, and they asked me about it. And there were three hosts, and all three of them were like, "If I were running an athletic department, I would hire him." And that was just interesting to me because, um, you know, when this first happens, it's like, "Well, well, he's done," and yet here we are, just you know, a few months later, and people are like, "I would hire him." And and the, the the facts of the case have not changed the only the facts of the incident have not changed the only thing that has changed is they're not going to pursue charges and people really get caught up on hey there were no charges the charges got dropped like that that's something when you're trying to rationalize or justify something the go-to thing is but the charges got dropped and you know as, as one of the hosts put it you hire Chris Beard, it's going to be um, some bad PR for a day or a week, but then you've got one of the best coaches in the country, so why would you not do it? And I saw just randomly um, Ole Miss fans tweeting, literally tweeting the Ole Miss athletic director saying, hey, if we make a coaching change, let's look at Chris Beard. So that's where we are. Um. I would disagree with the people I was talking to about it's just a day or a week of bad PR because – and if you're comfortable with this, then then you're comfortable with it. But the, the whole Chris Beard thing is not just going to go away in a week. You hire Chris Beard, and he's your head coach. Every time you go on the road, people are going to be chanting things about that incident, students are. You'll never get away from that. If you go to a Final Four, this will be part of the story. If you win a national championship conference, anything – This will always be something that is written about your school that is discussed. It will never go away. Do you want to deal with that? I I guess reasonable minds could could reach a different conclusion on that, but I do believe somebody's going to give him a shot. I think Chris Beard's going to be coaching again in college basketball and probably sooner rather than later. Can I get an answer from you on that?
1: Uh, Well, wait, it will... it's it's logical to conclude that will be the path that eventually goes down. Um, someone is asking in the chat, does Beard now have a case for wrongful termination against uh, the University of Texas? I, I did have someone who specializes specifically in this kind of stuff reach out to me earlier this week. And that person basically said that when they were texting with me, let's see if I can get this real quick. I want to use their exact language. Okay, this person said... Um he would only sue this this person who specializes in, in law and litigation. He will only sue if he's unable to secure future employment. Statute of limitations, notwithstanding, the clock will start ticking. So this person who is familiar with this area in general um believes that there could be a potential case against Texas by beard, but in doing so, you bring all of this stuff, you bring discovery into the picture, and it 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 certainly would You know, it would not be a positive from a public standpoint for Chris Beard to to pursue that. But if there were no coaching future for him, they could see that happening. So, to the question that was asked in the chat, I understand the question why it was asked. Um, I don't, I don't know if it will be going down that road.
0: Somebody and I only bring this up in the chat because somebody brought it up in studio the other night. Like, what about New Mexico State? And I'm like, New Mexico State cannot hire Chris Beard. Like, they cannot deal with more. Bad PR. So, like, I'm not saying Chris Beer can't get hired at a school like New Mexico State. It just can't. It can't be New Mexico State. But I do think it'll be somebody. Um, because somebody will hold a press conference and talk about it was one bad night, the charges were dropped, the fiance identified herself as the initiator. I'm just telling you how this is going to go down. I'm not telling you I agree with it. I'm just telling you. We will reach a day where Chris Beard is introduced as the next basketball coach somewhere, and somebody will say all of these things. He's already paid a significant price. He lost his dream job at Texas. The fiance um refuted the affidavit and described herself as the aggressor. And the charges were dropped. I bet I would bet an entire paycheck will we'll reach that day someday. We'll reach that day someday. And it might be next month. It's it not might be next month.
1: That's that, that is. That is something that is on the table. Yes. we ready to go. Let's go.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify over to Apple. Five stars. Leave a nice review. Type some words. There's more of us. There's more of us than there are of them. It needs to be reflected in the comments. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, knock that out while you're here. And like Deadleg said, we'll talk to you again on Saturday afternoon. Till then, take care.
2: Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.